We'll be in Matthew chapter 16. Excuse me, Matthew chapter 16. We often hear that as Christians, we're to be disciples of Christ. But what does that mean to be a disciple? I'm going to read something from The Words and Works of Jesus Christ, a book written by J. Dwight Pentecost. And I thought this is very good. It says, as you're turning to Matthew chapter 16, it says, In the light of Jesus' own revelation concerning his approaching death, it was evident that one must pay a costly price to become his disciple. Christ made his demands on those who would be his true disciples. Such a one must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The Gospels reveal three stages in the development of a disciple. Multitudes were attracted to Jesus to hear his words and see his works. They came out of curiosity. Such ones were called his disciples in Matthew 5, 2. You don't have to turn there. We, we call these the curious. From among the curious, there were many who came to put their faith in uh, Jesus Christ. John chapter 2 and verse 11. We would call such ones the convinced. But now Christ demanded that the convinced make a commitment. We would call these the committed. In order to be a true disciple, one must submit himself completely to the will of Jesus Christ. Such a one must deny himself, that is, set aside his own will and his own rights to his own life. He must then submit himself completely to the will of Christ. And then it continues on. And so I ask this question, what disciple are you? Are you just the curious who would just want to hear about Jesus? Or are you the convinced that has received Jesus Christ as Savior, that making a, a believer? Or are you the committed, which are called the true disciples, one who is truly committed to following Jesus Christ? And so I, as we look at this passage, I wanted to see what it means to be following the Savior. And if you are physically able, if you please stand with me as we read Matthew chapter 16, starting at verse 24. Matthew chapter 16, 24 through 28. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming and his kingdom. So here's how I want to examine this passage this morning. First, we're going to look at the cost of following Christ. The cost of following Christ. Yes, there's a cost. Secondly, we'll see the obstacles to following Jesus. The obstacles to following Jesus. Then lastly, we'll examine the rewards for following him. Christian, you must be determined to be a committed follower of Jesus Christ. Let us bow for a word of prayer. Father, again, thank you for your word, thank you for this time that we can examine your word. And I pray again, you'd remove all distractions. Lord, that we be able to focus on what you have for us. Lord, if there's one that does not know Christ as Savior, maybe they came as a curious. But Lord, may they leave as convinced and better yet, a committed disciple. Lord, not just being curious to hear about Jesus, but being convinced that he truly is the Savior and receiving him as Savior today. Father, I pray for the for 
the Christians here today that we would realize the importance of being a committed disciple. And we make that commitment today if we have not. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. First, I'd like us to start by seeing the cost of following Christ. Now, this goes against what many theologians and preachers want to teach and preach today, but they're teaching and preaching a false gospel because the Bible says there is a cost to following Christ. Now, they want to make it sound like you follow Jesus and your life becomes a bed of roses. You follow Jesus Christ and all of a sudden you get everything you want and you don't have any more problems in life and you can just not even get sick anymore. Everything in life is just hunky-dory because you're just a follower of Christ. Let me tell you what that, that false teaching does is when somebody gets sick or somebody gets a, uh, a trouble in life, then they're questioning, is this really true? And it leaves a big mess because people are being taught something false and falling for it. They teach that your problems are all going to get better. You know, isn't it interesting that the ones that Jesus called as his disciples, you read history and you find out most of them were brutally murdered, martyred for their faith. And you go down through church history and you read books like the Fox's Book of Martyrs and you find Christians all throughout history, ones who are true followers of Jesus Christ, ones who are committed followers of Jesus Christ, being martyred, being persecuted, being tortured. That is so against what this modern teaching of Christianity is. But that is true Christianity because Jesus did he not say that while we're in this world, we will suffer persecution if we're going to follow him. Now, I'm not saying go looking for it. I'm not going to go say looking for trouble. And I thank God we live in a land where at least today we still have the freedom to worship Jesus Christ according to the dictates of our conscience without fear of persecution, aren't you? Because, you know, when I knock on a door and somebody slams the door in my face, that's really not persecution, right? Being pr imprisoned, being hung, being tortured in some of the ways, if you, again, look at some of the martyrs, that was true persecution. But there is a still a cost to following Jesus Christ. And so what do we mean by that? Well, let's examine what the passage has to say. There has to be a determination that you're going to do and follow and obey. There has to be a determination of your will. You see, I need to determine now I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. If I wait till I'm in the temptation to decide, am I going to choose to follow Christ or choose not to, it's too late because I'm already in the situation. I need to choose now that I'm going to be a committed follower of Jesus Christ. So Jesus says, if any man will come after me, if he wants to be a truly committed follower of me, let him deny himself. Now the word deny is an imperative in the Greek. It means it's a command and has the idea to renounce claim or disown. Renounce claim to yourself or disown yourself. Now this goes again, it's totally against the world's philosophy of do good to yourself, be good to yourself, treat yourself good, make sure you're happy, and blah, 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 all the nonsense that you hear in the Hallmark Channel, okay? This is totally against all that because what God is saying is deny yourself. 
Now, that doesn't mean you don't take care of your physical body. It doesn't mean you don't bathe regularly and comb your hair and get your hair cut. It doesn't mean all those things. Okay, it doesn't mean you don't eat. But what it means is you deny your personal desires, your personal will, and submit your will to the will of God. Set aside your own rights to life and surrender Him. But many are afraid to submit to the will of God because... What if I don't like the will of God? What if God wants me to do something that I don't like? Well, first of all, if you have that attitude, and I've heard this many times, well, I'm afraid if I submit to God, he's going to call me to the uh, jungles of Africa or something like that, and I'll be there, and I won't like it because it's going to be hot, and blah, 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 blah. Well, first of all, let me ask a question. What kind of God do you serve? Because let me tell you something. God has put me here... And I enjoy being here. I really do. Because if I'm submitted to the will of God, he's going to, he's going to give you, the Bible says, the desires of your heart. I believe you're going to enjoy. Now, it may not always be pleasant. There may be things that come along that you, you know, aren't your most favorite. But you'll have joy in serving Jesus. Jeremiah 29, 11, the Word of God says, For I know the thoughts I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Let's not be afraid of the will of God. And, you know, it's amazing to me when we talk to Lewis and Judy Young, who there in Papua New Guinea, living in a grass um, hut type building, and, you know, uh, everything that they have has to be flown into them, and their main diet is sweet potatoes. And you read in their missionary letters about some of the struggles they're having in the churches in the area where they're whatnot and, the, and different things going on with the translations and whatnot, all the different things going on. But you know what? They have the joy of the Lord and they love where they are and they would not trade it for the world because that's where God called them to. I think of another couple, Matt and Katie Northcutt, who were up in Newfoundland. And before they were there, they were in uh, Russia, in the cold section of Russia. They love it. They love the cold. God bless them. I was thinking this morning on the way to church, oh, here comes another winter. It gets so cold. Yes, I kind of had my little whiny moment. Sorry. But I'm not a big fan of the cold anymore. I used to like it as a kid, but now it makes everything hurt and makes me think I'm old or something. But uh, there are those who love it. And so why do we always fear the will of God as though God is some mean ogre saying, ha ha, he finally submitted to me. Now how miserable can I make his life? You know, that's not the way God acts. But denying ourselves is not only renouncing claim to disown, but also to give up our rights. Many think that they still have rights to life. I have rights. Now, as an American citizen, do I have rights? Yes. Paul, as a Roman citizen, had rights, and there was time when he used those. But, you know, Paul was submitted to the will of God, and that's what we're talking about here, is being a follower of Christ and being submitted to the will of God. And when it came to God leading Paul, Paul didn't say, no, I'm not going to do that because I have my rights. I'm going to do it my way. Paul was submitted to following God. It's like you and I should sign a blank contract of our lives and give it back to God and say, God, you now fill in the details. That's what he wants from us. He doesn't want us just to give conditional contracts. Okay, God, I'll serve you if. God, I'll serve you when. If you do this, then I'll do that. That's a conditional contract. That's not what God wants from us. You know what God wants us from us? Here am I, 
send me. And after Isaiah said that, then he finds out where he's going, to whom he's going to minister, and how his ministry is going to go. It was after he unconditionally submitted to God that God led him. And too often we want to put our terms on God's contract instead of saying, yes, God, I'll follow no matter what, and you can fill out the terms. Because let me tell you something, I am learning, the older I get, just let God fill out the terms, and his terms are much better than what I thought mine were anyhow. Deny yourself. That means you can't ride the fence. You have to make a choice. Am I going to be a committed disciple? If you're not a committed disciple, then you're not a committed disciple. There is no riding the fence. I'm half committed, half not committed. How's that work in any relationship? Well, I'm half committed to my wife, half not committed to my wife. You'd be like, what? I I don't understand it, so I don't even know what I was just saying. Matthew 6, 24, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Joshua 24, 15, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served or on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua didn't say you can serve God and those gods, or you can serve God plus this. He said, you have to make a choice. Who are you going to serve and determine who you're going to serve and then follow him? Christian, you have to make a determination in your heart. I am going to be a sold out, 100% committed follower of Jesus Christ. Then he says, in verse 24, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. We have, again, a false teaching, and I hear this so often, and it really does bug me. Well, you know, we all have a cross to bear. We all have our burdens to carry. Okay, in the Roman Empire, people didn't just walk around all day carrying crosses. Oh, I got my cross to bear. What are you doing today? I'm carrying my cross. Why? Well, because I have a burden to carry. Okay, that's not even how the people understood it when they said, take up your cross. The cross had one purpose and one purpose only. You know what it's for? Execution. So when Jesus says, take up your cross, he's not saying, carry around a burden all day. He's saying, die to self. That's what he's saying. Deny yourself and take up your cross means die to self. Don't just deny yourself, but die to self. Now, a dead man doesn't have any rights. I've never heard a dead man argue for his rights. A dead man doesn't have any feelings. I've never heard of him complain. I remember when we had Miss Perlita's funeral here. And the funeral director got here early, and I helped him unload the hearse and bring her casket in, and we positioned it. And when he opened it up, she had slid down in the casket, because all of you remember Miss Perlita was very short. She had slid down off the pillow in the casket. And so I helped her, I helped him adjust her back up to where she belonged. You know, she didn't feel any of that. She didn't care about any of that, because that was just her body. Her soul and spirit were already with Jesus Christ. Amen. She didn't say, hey, hey, I have rights here. You and I, Christian, need to realize every day I am dead 
to sing Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We need to reckon that we are freed from sin. Not too long ago, I guess just a couple months ago, we did a study in Romans chapter 6 looking at the fact that we are dead to sin. We are freed from the bondage of sin. And we need to reckon it to be so, Romans 6, 11 and 13, through 13. You see, if I reckon myself dead to sin, alive in Christ, then I'm not going to be seeking my own. I'm not going to be seeking my own way, my own rights, my own desires. I'm going to be seeking His will. The will of God will be most important to me. Understand, the Son of God, when He walked on this earth, His whole mission was fulfill the will of His Father. And that ought to be your and my desire, Christian, is fulfill, to fulfill the will of God for our lives. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, 31. He says, I die daily. You know why we have to die daily, Brother John? Because that old man likes to get up off the cross, and try to sit back on the throne of our lives, doesn't he? And every day, I need to get up and realize that that old man needs to die, get back on the cross, and Jesus Christ needs to be on the throne. So deny yourself, take up thy cross, get yourself back on the cross where you belong, and allow Jesus Christ on the throne of your life. And let me tell you, friend, do it daily, sometimes more than daily, sometimes maybe every hour. Sometimes I find a half hour later, I have to do it again. Have you ever been there? Because that old man wants to get off his cross and, go, and come down and start saying, I need to take control again. And you say, you're dead. Get back on the cross. Jesus Christ now reigns here. And sometimes it has to happen over and over again. You know, being a committed follower is not just a one-time event, but it's a continuous event. It continues to happen. i got to continue to be committed to follow Christ. And I need to continue to be committed to follow Christ. I need to, and one day, Jesus Christ is going to come through the clouds, and that trump is going to sound, and the archangel is going to shout, and I'm going to fly on out of here, and I'm going to lose that old man. And then finally, I won't have to fight anymore. But until then, it's going to be a daily struggle. I want to be a committed follower of Jesus Christ. I want to be a committed follower of Jesus Christ. i got to die to self, deny self, deny self, die to self every day and keep following Jesus Christ. There's a cost, folks. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now that part, once we get past the dying to self part, follow Christ. Should be easier, right? Jesus willingly did the will of the Father while he was here on earth. He was obedient even to the death on the cross. Now, in that passage in Philippians, Paul tells us, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. If Jesus was willing to obey all the way to death, then should you and I not be willing to obey all the way to death, if God should so require? Philippians 2.8, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. A true committed disciple must be obedient. A true committed disciple must be obedient. John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, 
keep my commandments. Well, God, I can show my love for you, and I'll keep the part about reading my Bible every day, and I'll, I'll obey you in praying, but, Lord, you really want me to share the gospel with lost people? I'm, I'm a shy person. The Great Commission still applies to all of us, does it not? I still have the responsibility of sharing the gospel with those of whom I come in contact. Well, Lord, you know, I get it, but do I really got to go to church all the time? Can't I skip a few services and still be good? Folks, coming to church doesn't make you spiritual, okay? But coming to church is where you get fed, besides your daily time in the Word. And this is where we meet for fellowship with other believers. And I don't understand why somebody would not want to be here fellowshipping with other believers. Well, Lord, I'll obey, but you know, my finances are too tight for me to tithe. Folks, when you're not tithing, you're stealing from God. Well, Lord, I'll serve you, but only if I don't have to move. Well, Lord, I'll serve you as long as it's convenient. Lord, I'll serve you on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, but Tuesdays and Thursdays are my days. I mean, you know, people come up with all kinds of weird stuff. I don't know. I'm just, you know, you know what I'm talking about, though, right? We put terms again on God instead of saying, Lord, I will follow you. I'll be obedient in all areas. Well, Lord, I want to separate from the world, but I really like dressing up for Halloween. Are we separate from the world or not? I know some who think it's innocent to allow my kids to dress up for Halloween. A committed disciple will love the brethren. John 13, 35, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one toward another. Let me say something. There are many churches today that are in strife. There's not love. There's not unity among the brethren. Folks, never take for granted what God has given us here at Freedom Baptist Church. I mean that. I mean, be serious. Thank God that we have a church that is unified. You know, that tells me we have committed believers here. But there should be a love among the brethren. And when there is strife and contention... We need to deal with it so that there can continue to be that love, so we can all be followers of Jesus Christ. The Bible refers to us as sheep. Hence the reason why I chose this picture for this message this morning. Because if you see way at the top of the hill there, what are these sheep following? The shepherd. You know, all the sheep are pointing in the same direction. All the sheep are heading the same way. All the sheep are following the same individual. That's the way this church ought to operate. Every one of us ought to have our eyes on that shepherd. Now, if you're short in the back, sorry about that. But the idea is you're still looking toward that shepherd. That is what it means to be a follower. You know, that shepherd can go wherever he wants. You know what those sheep are going to do? Follow. That shepherd knows what's best for those sheep. Those sheep trust that shepherd to look out for them. Those sheep trust that shepherd to know what lies ahead, to protect them from danger. That shepherd cares for every single one of those sheep. Now, if you've ever been around sheep, they're smelly. They're kind of nasty little critters. Sometimes we can be too, can't we? But Jesus Christ loves every one of us, and he wants us to follow him. Now, when one of these sheep decide, ooh, look, I wonder what that is over there, and the shepherd's still going that way, what happens? They go astray. 
they can head into danger, get caught in the rocks, eat something they shouldn't, be attacked by a wolf, all kinds of things. And then what's even worse is when one of these sheep turn astray, you know what some of the others will do? Oh, I wonder where they're going. And follow along. And when you and I go astray from Jesus Christ, not only are we hurting ourselves, but many times we're leading others astray with us. And we need to be careful that we keep our eyes on the shepherd and follow him. There's obstacles to following Christ. Verse 25. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. One obstacle is fear of man. What will they think of me? You know, I went to work and I was telling my co-workers about Jesus and they all called me a Jesus freak. I don't think I'm going to do that again because I didn't like it. Perhaps in Jesus' time, some were fearful to follow him because of the Pharisees. They were afraid that because the Pharisees did not like Christ and they wanted to kill him and his followers, you know, they could have control over him. We're going to kick you out of the synagogue if you can keep following him. Men still tries to control others that way, don't they? Control with fear. If you don't believe that the world is trying to control you with fear, look at the last two and a half years in our country. While we do not fear the loss of life in this country, some still fear men. Jeremiah was told in Jeremiah 1.8, Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Jim Elliot said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Now, if you remember, Jim Elliott was part of a missionary team that went to the Alka Indians. These, this was a native tribe who um, had never heard the gospel. And he and Pete Fleming, Nate Saint, and I'm trying to remember who else was on the team, lost their lives trying to get the gospel to these people. And this was in the 50s, folks. We're not talking very, very ancient history. These men went there to give the gospel and gave their lives trying to get the gospel to them. And you know what's amazing about the story? Is their wives continued to mission. Many of those Indians finally got saved because their wives went back to the same people that had killed their husbands. You know why? They didn't fear man. They feared God. But if a man denies Christ and tries to save his life, he ultimately loses it anyhow. One who denies Christ, one who lives for himself, one who tries to protect himself, at the end, what did he gain? Nothing. Some fear man. Well, you know, people don't want to hear the gospel. People say that we shouldn't take our religion into the public square. Good, leave your religion at home. Take your relationship with Jesus Christ wherever you go. But then some also have the obstacle of the love of material possessions. We're here in Matthew 16. Flip over just a few chapters to Matthew chapter 19 with me. Matthew 19, starting in verse 16. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do, that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. And he saith unto him, which, Jesus said, thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And the young man said unto him, all these have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor, 
and thou shalt have treasures in heaven, and come and follow me. And when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus said unto his disciples, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now Jesus is saying, not saying that rich man can't be saved, but what he was showing this rich young man is that his faith was in the and his trust and his desires were in material things and the riches of this world, and he wasn't willing to give those up and willing, uh, ready to follow Jesus Christ. Now, it doesn't mean that if God has blessed you with riches, you have to give up all your riches to follow Jesus Christ, but what it does mean is that you need to stop trusting those things and stop believing those things and stop hoarding those things, and if God were to take it from you, you could still say, amen, God is good, as much as when he gives you those things. And that's not what this rich man was willing to do because the things meant more, more, were more important to him than following Christ. Now, Christian, examine your heart and see, are there things in this world that are more important to you than your relationship with Jesus Christ? If there are, then be willing. It doesn't mean you have to get rid of them, but be willing to set those aside so you can have your relationship with Christ first. And if God were to take them out of your life, you should be able to say, thank you, Lord, because I'm better off without them than with them. If material things are going to distract you from serving God, trust me, you're better off without them. Because material things, the love of material possessions can become a hindrance. Now, there are those in this world that can have the material possessions, but still keep their focus on God. And I say, thank God for those people, don't you? But many, God has to take those material things from you in order for you to be able to focus on God. And I thank God for those people too, don't you? But the point is, is don't love the material possessions. Because you cannot buy happiness. You cannot buy salvation. You see, there are those that hold on to the things of this world thinking that they're going to gain something, you know, you've even all seen the bumper sticker that says, he who has the most toys wins. Wins what? What is the prize at the end? Because you can have all the toys in this world and spend eternity in hell. That's not a winner. That's a loser. But you can have nothing in this world and have a relationship with Jesus Christ and have life eternal. And let me tell you something, that's a winner. Amen. So Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, there's a cost. There's obstacles. But lastly, there's rewards. There are rewards. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels. Then shall he reward every man according to his works. There's a judgment coming. Now, for one who has never received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, for the lost person, the coming judgment is not good news. Because for that individual... They will stand at what is called the great white throne judgment. And that is a judgment of condemnation. And everybody standing at that judgment will be cast in the lake of fire for all eternity. Folks, let's remember that is the eternal destination of every lost person on planet Earth today. But Christian, we're not talking about that judgment for us. We're talking about the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, the judgment of rewards. But the Bible talks about this judgment being the time of reward or the time of loss of reward. Depending on whether we have built with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, stubble. 
When you take wood, hay, stubble, put them in the fire, trust me, they make good fuel for the fire. And all you get at the other end is a pile of ashes. But you put gold, silver, precious stones into a fire, and it purifies the gold and silver and the precious stones. They come out even more pure, more shining. And so what are we building with? Well, let me tell you, the non-committed Christian, the one who is just a, I'm saved, but I'm not following God. I'm not going to live for Jesus Christ. I'm not going to have a life committed to him. We'll stand at that judgment. And I believe in shame because they're going to see all their life's works go up in smoke and they're going to have nothing but a pile of ashes to lay at the Savior's feet. And what a shame that would be. But a committed Christian, a committed follower of Christ, who has done things for the glory of God and not for the self-aggrandizement, not for the glory of self, not for trying to please men, but doing all to the glory of God, one who has denied self, taken up their cross and followed Christ, is going to have a great reward to be able to lay back at the Savior's feet. And you and I, Christian, can have a great anticipation of this time. You say, well, how do you believe that, Pastor? Okay, let me show you real quickly. Hold your place here, Matthew. Come with me over to 2 Timothy. And this is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy at the end of his life. And I want you to see with your own eyes what the Apostle Paul says here in 2 Timothy in chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. As the Apostle Paul comes to the end of his life in 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting at verse 6, he says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. You know what Paul is saying? He says, I am looking forward to being able to stand before Jesus Christ and give an account of my life because I know I have run a good race. Now, he's not saying that in a prideful way. He's not boasting on who he is. He's saying, I have committed my life to Jesus Christ. I have committed to follow him. I put away the things of the flesh as we studied in the early service from Philippians chapter 3. I put away those things. I, would never, I stopped trusting in those things, and I trusted in Jesus Christ alone, and I made a life committed to following him, to preaching his word, the sharing the gospel with the lost around me, being faithful to him, being faithful to his word, teaching others. And I have fought, I have run the race, and I am ready to go. When I get at the end of my life, I want to be like the Apostle Paul. I don't want to be like so many I have heard to say, if I had it all over to do again, I wasted so much time. I wasted so much effort. I woulda, coulda, shoulda. But you know what? You know how many chances we get at life? One. And folks, you can't change what happened yesterday. You can't go back in the past and erase it. You can't undo it. But you can change from this day forward to make a commitment to say, I am a committed follower of Jesus Christ. And starting today and the next day and the next day, continue to be that follower of Jesus Christ so that when he comes to take you home, you can say, you know what? I'm forgetting those things which are behind. That's the past. I can't change it. But I made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ. And now I'm ready to meet him. If Jesus Christ were to come today, would you stand before him ashamed or would you stand before him rejoicing because of the rewards you're going to get?
If you say, oh, preacher, oh, I hope he doesn't come today because there's some things that need to change. And friend, why don't you do this? In just a few moments, we're going to have a time of invitation. Why don't you take that time to make a commitment to God saying, God, this life is short. I don't know how long I have left here on planet Earth, but I want to make every moment count for you. I want to deny self. I want to take up my cross, and I want to follow you. I'm willing to pay the cost. I understand there's obstacles in the way, but I'm going to take my eyes off of the flesh. I'm going to take my eyes off of men. I'm going to take my eyes off of things, and I'm going to focus on you, Lord, because there's a reward waiting for me, and I want to be able to have that reward not for myself, but be able to lay it back at your feet. So, Lord, I commit to you today to be a committed disciple of you. Christian, that ought to be the desire of every one of our hearts. And I'll tell you what, it would be a wonderful thing if every Christian in this auditorium said, I'm going to be that committed Christian. I'm going to be a committed follower of God because we don't need this wishy-washy Christianity. We don't need this half-committed Christianity. We need Christians who are going to stand for God, who are going to follow Him. There is a reward. Jesus gave instructions on following Him. We must consider the cost. Be willing to deny ourselves and die to self. Get past the obstacles that lie in the way and focus on the rewards ahead. Let us bow for a word of prayer.